Hey, I'm Mel. And I'm Andres, and you're listening to Mixtape, Mixtape your favorite Afro Latin podcast. What she said. There's like less than 10%, and 10 is actually very generous. I, I want to say five, but for our own test of purposes, less than 10% of reggaetoneras are black women. Um, and that's wild to me because you see our aesthetics everywhere. The aesthetic of, of the reggaetonera is ghetto fab. Esas uñas, esa jerga, los movimientos, todo eso viene de una mujer negra. And you see everything about us except us. It's why I'm creating music. I have something to say. My music will be very black, very reggaeton. That's the, the avenue I'm trying to stick to, to kind of like disassociate with this idea that we're not mainstream. Today's single presents the extended version of our interview with Catalina Eclestón, AKA La Gata. Catalina is the creator of Reggaeton con la Gata, which is the first femme platform dedicated to reggaeton analysis and history. Catalina is also the lead researcher on MTV's upcoming show, De La Calle. This interview with Catalina is part of the investigative work for track eight of our second season, Cuando Baila Reggaeton, While Dancing Reggaeton. Check it out. The title of today's single is inspired by the song Perreo 101 by Glory. Perreo 101, or Perreo 101, is also the name of La Gata's podcast, which you should definitely check. I'm Catalina Gata Eccleston. I'm a Panamanian Jamaican um, music historian, was a niche in, you know, the independent research of reggaeton. I'm also a, the humbled and proud creator of Reggaeton con La Gata, the first bilingual femme platform dedicated to the intersectional uh, analysis and history of reggaeton um, as seen in Spotify, as seen in many redes. <laughs> um, my dance journey, uh, in fact, I actually started as a ballerina. <laughs> um, you know, I've been dancing ever since I could walk or maybe dancing before I could walk. I, I love music my entire life. Um, so that the chiquita, I don't even think I was three years old yet, but I was a, a mini ballerina, you know, um, building the strength in my toes. I was in, shout out to, National Ballet Clásico Hispano of Boston. <laughs> um, yo fui la única negra ahí. <laughs> bueno, not on purpose, pero, you know, I guess I was the only negra who can se enteró de eso desde el principio. I was the only one who knew in the beginning. I was one of the first. Um, and then it became more diverse as time gone by. Everybody there fueron unos amores. It was a completely, I don't really use the word Hispanic anymore, but for all intents and purposes, eran hispanos in that they only spoke Spanish, um, you know, and uh, it was an amazing experience in that, you know, I w was learning how to build the strength in my toes. That's very important as a, as a ballerina. Uh, so I would do sets like Hansel and Gretel, the Nutcracker, Cinderella, um, all while listening to reggaeton on the flip side. <laughs> um, I had a very... Um, mixed 
upbringing, right? Um, I was literally raised by two very religious parents. Um, they met in church doing Bible study <laughs> when they were younger and then basically were raised together in the church um, and fell in love. And I came out of that. My dad was so religious. May he, so, may he rest in peace. My mom is still a deaconess, to paint you a picture. Um, so, like, it was crazy. I listened to reggaeton, but I wasn't allowed to listen to hip-hop because they thought, because you era una americanita, that I would understand la jerga and hip-hop much better than la jerga and perreo. And I'm like, you sure, papi? <laughs> you entendía todo, but I wasn't going to snitch on myself. I loved perreo. Um, they would let me listen to that because they're like, she don't know what they're saying anyways. Um, <laughs> so I was a ballerina listening to perreo. And then, you know, a... You know, as time went by, you know, unfortunately, my dad passed away. And um, on the flip side of listening to Perreo, I was also listening to alternative rock <laughs> uh, because that's what he allowed me to listen to. So it was like it was like John Mayer, classical music, the ballet and then Perreo. it was hilarious. That was my upbringing. Um, and then as a teenager, of course, I listened to less alternative rock. I still love it. I still do as an adult, but claro, um, I got more away from it because I had the freedom to do so. So yeah, to give a little background on me and music and my upbringing and my dance journey, um, I did ballet for seven years. Um, and after ballet, um, I actually, you know, as a teenager, I choreographed my own quinces and I was hired amongst Boston to choreograph a lot of quinces. I did a lot of my friends' quinces. Um, I love dance, you know. Um, no importa que sea perreo <laughs> or, or vals, <laughs> right? Um, I would do a lot of choreography and bachata, merengue, pri pri, and, and vals. And, um, I remember doing a lot of choreography for like the local YMCA. Me and my friends would like do little dances and like do them at the start of parties and just for fun. Um, I love music. I love dance. Perreo. I love, you know, how sexy Perreo is. And that's pretty much why I'm now in that I, I love it so much to the point where now I'm creating music. So that's a little journey. <laughs> Catalina, tell us about how you started your platform, Reggaeton con la Gata. Reggaeton con la Gata is an idea that I had in college. So first and foremost, I started college as a freshman, 18-year-old, studying graphic design. And I had an unfortunate, you know, trauma. And I dropped out of school, actually. And during that year of school, I was in therapy and, you know, was really tapping into the things that were making me happy because I spent all my teenage years being depressed because my dad died. And then I literally told myself, I love ocho, like, okay, we're living for me now. We're going to have fun. And then bam, I love ocho, it, it fue lo que pasó. This is what happened. I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, come on life. Like I'm finally choosing to live you. And like, this is what you do to me. Um, and so I found myself once again, 
being saved by music. So when I went back to school, I finished in graphic design and illustration, uh, which visual art is my, my life, but I knew that in order to create money, immediately I wanted something practical. And I started thinking, oh, uh, who do I look up to? I'm like, Oprah. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, me and Oprah have gone through a lot of similar traumas and we've, you know, tenemos la capacidad. We have the capacity of holding conversations that are difficult and, uh, you know, wanting to being able to connect with people and seeing that as something that is important to us. That, that was very important to me. So I pivoted from design to communications shout out to my professors from Marymount because they were amazing in that they allowed me to be me. So while I'm studying communications, my papers always incorporated um, music artists. <laughs> it always incorporated music. So mientras que estaba estudiando comunicaciones, um, while I was studying communications, I would throw in things that were happening in popular culture. So like this was around Kylie Jenner, for example, saved the world and racism with a Pepsi can. <laughs> um, I wrote a paper on that. <laughs> and this is also during the time when Zoe Saldana acted as Nina Simone, right? That was very controversial. I was able, I was given the grace to dissect that in an academic setting. So moving forward reggaeton, I was allowed to do my capstone on implicit bias in the Latin music industry. And I was able to interview four artists, two black, two white, two on the rise, two who are a mainstream and identify the data of like, what is it that kept them from, from rising? What kind of racism have they all experienced? What is the gatekeeping that, you know, was on their paths? And once I saw that data and how depressing it was, because I'm like, okay, this industry is going to be very difficult. I should create my own table. And reggaeton colagata was my own table. Bad Dominicana. You could be my lover. You could be my lover. You could be my How does your Jamaican and Panamanian identity deepen your connection to reggaeton? I am a proud descendant of two Panamanian Jamaicans. That was such an interesting experience <laughs> uh, because my Latinidad was very diff different from others. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, where majority of Latinos, it's funny, up until I was 12, was very Boricua. And then after that, there was a very large shift. Like a lot of Boricuas moved to Lawrence, like where Nikki Jam grew up, upstate in um, Massachusetts. And there was like this massive influx of Dominicans. Like now Boston is like Dominican. <laughs> Majority of my friends son Dominicano. I always felt like the oddball <laughs> because, you know, my, I just told you I, I did ballet, you know, and then I had a father who was very strict, who only let me listen to alternative rock, alternative rock and salsa. <laughs> like what? Alternative rock and like, La música alta clase latina, que sea salsa, rock, cosas así. And then on top of that, we're very Caribbean. We're Afro-Antillanos. So we didn't listen to a ton of like reggae in the house because reggae is very explicit. <laughs> I 
at least it can be. So it was a uh, very interesting. Cuando yo escuchaba música más, it was with my cousins. Like I'd be with them, and that's when I'd be more of a rebel. That also ignited something in me, and that it attracted me more to the music because I wasn't allowed to. You know how that is, like when you're a teenager and wanting to rebel. So um, I would be with my cousins, and it was like a thing to stand in front of the TV and learn the dances from a lot of these songs because the choreography was always like a huge part of the music marketing way back then. I remember, you know, with my cousins learning the choreography to like days like baby boy right get then sean paul or elephant man who had you know songs like juke gal and sean paul temperature and stuff like that so it was fun being with my cousins in these settings learning these very dance hall like a uh, choreographies it made me like the music more i love that during this time there was like a a tendency a, a tendency a, t a trend for a lot of these Jamaican songs to celebrate a dance movement también, specifically in this period. So me being Jamaican, it just made it that much more special. Last thing I'll say is I've been laughing hard these past two years in the pandemic because this is the closest I've been with my mom because we all have to stay home, right? Um, so in which case I'm laughing because I've never went to a Jamaican restaurant ever in my life. Cause it's like, why? <laughs> like that's, that's what my mom cooks. So like, why am I going to look for that outside? I'll just eat at home. But I went to a restaurant with my friend and I was dying because when I saw the menu, I'm like, oh shit, it's everything that I eat at home. Like it was in that moment that I realized, oh my God, we eat a lot more Jamaican than we eat Panamanian. Who would have, I would have never knew that, you know? Immigrants love secrets. I didn't grow up in Panama, I grew up in the States. So when they're telling me this is Panamanian food, I have to accept that that's what it is, but I don't know. When I went to this restaurant, I'm like, oh shit, Ma, you're so Jamaican. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, um, you know, and ella tiene un acento muy jamaquina. But again, it's like this concept of what we have of what Latinidad is. And so I'm really trying to understand that in contrast to what I'm seeing and understanding what the idea of Afro Antillano is. So that was very interesting to me. Um, it made me really fall even more in love with my Jamaican roots, especially these past two, two and a half years. And um, I love it. And it definitely like has influenced like how I listen to music, how I love music and what I'm gravitating towards. Tell us about the origins of reggaeton. Where did it begin? I, being a music nerd, I think that there's reggaeton and there's reggaeton. In my opinion, Panamanians created, Panamanians translated reggae in Patwa, that is Jamaican, to Spanish. And then they made reggae in Spanish, made dancehall in Spanish, and then innovated in the studios with the Jamaicans, right? Nando Boom was in the studio as, you know, this ritmo of Dembo was being created. He created then the song Dembo, like he translated it because of course it existed in, in, in Patwa first. And so 
since I've seen that, you know, there's a sort of innovation that occurred and very quickly, and it didn't go too far because Panamanians are very humbled. That's our problem. <laughs> We're too humble. So I feel like, you know, I have to give the flowers to my Panamanians for the innovation that they did with dance hall and how that further set the blueprint for what reggaeton is today. On the flip side, I feel like Puerto Ricans definitely heard the dance hall slash reggaeton that Panamanians was creating and wanted to increase the BPM, um, create a structure that fit a style that was more keen to them um, and their rap style. And that is what we know as reggaeton today, you know, the innovative blueprint that Puerto Ricans have created based off of reggaeton that Panamanians made. I think that's the best explanation I can give that gives everybody their flowers because I feel like now there's a legacy of like leaving Panamanians out or, you know, saying that what they did wasn't innovative or doesn't impact what we listen to today. And I think that's false. Vengo a decirle a todos los hombres que tienen que pagar que el año 91 no vamos a jugar. Oigan esto. You are quoted in a 2020 article saying, I quote, when we look at the artists who are singing this very black music, black women are missing completely, end quote. What black women artists should we be paying attention to? There's like less than 10% and 10 is actually very generous. I, I want to say five, but for our own test of purposes, less than 10% of reggaetoneras are black women. Um, and that's wild to me because you see our aesthetics everywhere, right? The aesthetic of, of the reggaetonera is ghetto fab, basically. Um, ghetto fab, Y2K. And esas uñas, esa jerga, los movimientos, you know, todo eso viene de una mujer negra. And you see everything about us except us. And that's very sad. It's why I'm creating music <laughs> to see, you know, how this goes for me. I have something to say. Um, my music will be very black, um, very reggaeton, right? Um, that's the, the avenue I'm trying to stick to, también, to kind of like disassociate with this idea that we're not mainstream. Outside of me, there's Party with Nami, La Sista, who's been here since the beginning. She still sings. Um, Dios. There's Denfra of La Factoria. Joyce no longer sings, I believe. Ayan Yuri, who she's not, but for all intents and purposes, like, from Mestiza, quizá. Um, there is Melaner. There is I Am Leslie, una boricua dominicana o dominicana, pura, que es bien chula. Gale la molleta. Eh, claro, hay Toquisha, que está matando con el perreo. Um, you know, top of my head. And yeah. I hope to see this conversation grow, concept grow, and for more Black women to see themselves as a part of the reggaeton imagination. Because I feel like that's a huge part of it as well. It's why a lot of women are, are gravitating against reggaeton. They don't think that they'll make it, at least from the data that I'm gathering. Hey, it's me, Mel, one of the hosts of the Mixtape Podcast. I wanted to take just a few seconds to remind you that in the Mixtape Podcast, we take an anti-racist approach to center the contribution of Black people and culture across the Latin American diaspora through dance and music. Follow us on Instagram at 
mixtape.podcast and click the link tree in our bio for more information. And remember, you can find all our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and through our website, tarheels.live slash mixtape podcast. Back to Perreo 101. Talk to us about the whitewashing of the reggaeton rhythm. I think this occurred twice throughout history. The first time, um, honestly, was with the acceptance of Daddy Yankee's Barrio Fino. That's an amazing album, but <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> um, on the flip side to the cultivation of that album, there was a cultivation of El Avallale, which of course celebrates negritud en plena forma, que sea por bomba y plena, que es muy, muy boricua, 100% boricua, que también celebra salsa, eh, pero en la manera que también celebra eh, los timbales, right? The very African instruments, right? On the flip side to that, Barrio Fino was the album to convince the industry that this music can be mainstream and that it can be prof professionally produced and um, creado de quote unquote alta clase, which is very racist. <laughs> Um, and for this to sort of be a blueprint of sorts of la música que queremos ver en el futuro, which don't get me wrong, again, the album is great, but the issue is there's an interpretation and, a, and a, a white association to this album because they're excited not for the African instruments there, but for how we can minimize that usage to create a sound that they want to sell. That's problematic. So, eso fue la primera y la segunda fue Honestly, when Reggaeton touched Colombia, um, I was able to interview Maluma and Balvin for La, and they have said verbatim, queremos crear un sonido más seco. O sea, el reggaeton de nosotros es un reggaeton seco. And I'm like, what does this mean? And they're like, tú sabes, sin timbales, una simplificación del, del, del ritmo. And I was like, oh, you guys are the culprits <laughs> um, of creating a sound that, que, you know, simplifica demasiado, in my opinion, el machuqueo del, del, del dembow, del reggaeton, right? Um, they wanted to create a, a very pop sound that, like, that was created for to, to be consumed universally, right? That, that assumption is like so problematic for so many different reasons. It's like, as if people are gonna hear a drum and say, oh, I can't listen to that. Like, what is that? Um, pero just para que sepan, that was a very deliberate decision of this music in this very specific way, yeah. Tell us about your own music and what you're hoping to achieve with your art. I am so in love with my process. I've been recording for two and a half years. I've been recording the entire pandemic. I've just been studying. It's a very humbling process. It's one thing to critique music. It's another thing to create it. Um, I love reggaeton. I love the idea of being innovative in this genero bringing something new, maybe bringing something back in a way that's not being done. Right now, I'm very much appreciating new age reggaetoneros who are daring to be different. For example, Alvaro Diaz, oof. His new album, Felislandia, is like gold to me. 
Y en Corpus Popetón, claro, pero en las canciones que son reggaetón, que son perreo, the way that he's innovating, like the, the questions that he's asking and answering in the studio are very apparent to me as I'm creating in my process. So um, I'm very happy he exists, that his album got the praise it got because it's amazing. Um, ese blanquito tiene <laughs> un piquete. Him, eh, of course, Tego. I am in love with his process. I am falling in love with El Abayalde in a way that I didn't even thought possible. I, in the process of creating my music, I'm recreating old songs so that I can see what their process was like. Like, no, 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 tú tienes que poner este, este instrumento aquí. You know, like, oh, it's this instrument, not that one. So being able to understand how much salsa is in his music um, and appreciating that now in, an, in a production level. So also to that, I have producer credits on all of my songs. Throughout this process, I've also learned how to produce music. Shout out to my amazing co-producer, Javi. Together, somos negrex, like that's our tag. You've never heard of a girl guy producer duo, so I'm excited to debut in that way as well. No, he really respects me and has taught me the ropes of Fruity Loops, of Logic, etc. Um, and I appreciate that because the violence that women experience in the studio es otra cosa. I've been in ex I've been in moments where like my song has been held hostage. I still have songs hostage. I have songs that I've recorded that I don't have because no me lo manden. Um, I have songs where I grew up in church, in choir. I know how to sing. <laughs> like I know how to uh, achieve an alto or soprano voice or mezzo soprano lo que sea. I know how to sit, hit certain notes. Quizás estoy cantando en mí y me lo cambio mi voz a do, right? And it's like, and I'm like, that's not the key I sang. And then they're like, yes, it is. There's a lot of gaslighting like that. There's a lot of like, I'll have really dope ideas in the producer side because I'm very hands-on. I want to know why that timbal is there. I want to know why this guitar is there. I want to know why this is that note. Can that be higher? This is too masculine. That's too feminine. I'm very involved. I don't care. So este, I've been in situations where like, I'll help produce a dope ass beat, a dope ass beat. And when I go back to record, they change the beat because they want to keep that beat for themselves. And then they make a beat that's more watered down so that I can have it. And it's like, that's not what the fuck I produce. Give me my stuff. Hobby is a dream come true. I don't experience none of that with him. Um, puro respeto. I have one of my first songs is with him. Um, we're producing together. We're also releasing music together. To paint a picture, I'm doing all genres. I'm not putting myself in a box. Soy reggaetonera hasta la tumba, pero estoy haciendo todo. Dance hall, pop, everything. Um, because I feel like it's my right. Black women, you know, are we're so versatile. We we know how to do so much. <laughs> it's funny, I've been talking with my friends, I'm like, todo me pertenece a mí, like, si yo quiero hacer salsa, es mi derecho, si yo quiero hacer merengue, es mi derecho. So like, I'm not closing anything off. Soy Centroamericana, so I incorporate a lot of cumbia. I know a lot of people are gonna be happy for that. I'm excited to, for people to hear that también. <laughs> so, este, no, nothing is off limits, nothing is off the table. I'm very excited for people to hear my songs. Uh, 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 uh,
Reggaeton is described as inherently black and inherently political. Do you think this is still the case when it comes to the black experience within the rhythm? Uh, it depends who you ask and who they're listening to. I think reggaeton will always be black at its core, even with the whitewashed sound that's, you know, readily available today. Todavía hay reggaeton de la mata or reggaeton that's like a bit underground. So there are people who don't care about what's going on mainstream. I would say I'm one of them. <laughs> um, so I'm creating reggaeton para todos, reggaeton para la calle y reggaeton para pa vender, right? And I hate saying that because it's like, in my opinion, el reggaeton de la calle también es más es para vender que el de mainstream que yo estoy creando because it's like, it's más pegajoso, tiene más swag, es más, como los bodies dicen, más anungoso. Like, I don't understand why anyone would not want this. But here we are. And so, con reggaeton de la mata existiendo, and people just creating music para la calle, con esos ritmos negros, you know, like, con nuestra jerga, you know, it's all contextualized, right? Reggaeton de la mata of PR. Reggaeton de la mata, we, we don't call it that, but reggaeton que es más callejosa of Panama, right? Um, every country creates reggaeton that's more at like a street level. It's not visibilized because that's not what the industry wants to sell, but it exists. So I'm going to say yes. And I'm happy that culturally it's for us by us. I'm very pissed off that it's not what's selling. Um, in the bigger scheme of things because of the saturation in the market and the way that marketing goes um, in regards to the more mainstream music, but I'll see. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting also because um, it's similar to what happened, say, I mean, we can, I think Celia Cruz may be an exception to all of that, but besides her, outside of her, I think in every single genre, it's like, the music is great, it's always been great, and then sometimes, and then, you need like some sort of white or whitish mestizo artist to like bring it out. Like if it wasn't there all the, you know, from the beginning. Like, well, I mean, I think um, it's, this conversation is helping me. And of course, putting it together with all the other rhythms that we've touched on in the past year, you know, when we were doing our cumbia episode, our, our guest Nelda Pina talks about um, not having the resources to be able to record in a recording studio. And so she's recording live at her house, right? And so I think that's what we see so much with the underground stuff. You know, we're recording with the resources that we have, but then you have the the people who are well-resourced, well-funded, typically white, white mestizos, right? And they're able to elevate the platform because of, of what they have and how difficult it is to be able to do um, and, and grow in the way that you can musically when you don't have the resources. That's exactly what it is. Um, it's not, so Celia Cruz, what I'm finding in like these token negros that the industry likes to put on for the invisibility, for the and diversity, for their points and whatever. Um, what I find is that it's the perseverance. This is what exactly what I mean um, when I say that I studied implicit bias, the types of things that they had to pull past. Resources was a major thing. Um, you know, pulling for something that's also pulling towards you. There's gonna be times, and I had to learn throughout the the data collection of my project. There's gonna be a lot of times where I'm pulling towards something that's not pulling towards me, and that's very depressing. But I have to ask myself, how bad do I want it? Um, 
you know, um, in that there's going to be an idiot out there. I've been told multiple times, you should work in hip hop. No racismo Latin music. Um, all this other shit, right? Um, I clearly love this music a lot because imagínate que yo me lleve de eso. You know what I'm saying? And that's quite a perfect example of what I mean in that I'm pulling towards something that's not looking for me, you know? So when it comes to this music, lack of resources, gaslighting, everything I just said that that was violent, um, holding your music hostage, changing your music and telling you that they didn't, stealing your beat and then giving you something that's whack as if that's what you agreed to, robándote. Imagine Celia Cruz, um, how many times they're like, Negra, why don't you sell your music? Maybe you have to sing it. Maybe you sell it. You know what I'm saying? I can imagine the, I can only imagine the bullshit she's gone through. You know, quizá tú escribes por otro, right? Un blanco es lo que ellos quieren decir, right? Que ellos se pueden vender mejor. That's so fucking racist, you know? Um, I can only imagine. I don't know that to be true, but I know, I can only imagine the type of shit she's gone through. I've known what Tego's gone through. I know what other negros in this space go through. Even at the high levels that they're at, es, es una estupidez. And you really have to ask yourself how much you want it. And as ghetto as this industry is, I know a lot of people are like, yo no quiero pasar un cierto punto porque el, la porquería, el tipo de porquería que yo tengo que pasar no vale el costo de mi dignidad. I've heard that so many times and I hate that because if it wasn't for that, there'd be so much more black people in the forefront. Muchos me miran como si yo fuera un tipo sin arreglo, como si nunca antes hubieran visto un negro, como si fuera un delincuente, como si con el lápiz y con mi libreta yo matara gente. How did the murder of George Floyd help reorient consumers of reggaeton and reggaeton artists to recognize the black roots of the rhythm? That year was everything for me and that I was pushed with the maximum amount of visibility ever. I've never been more seen in my life. De hoy pa mañana, the entire industry knows who I am. They care about what I do, what I'm saying, how I'm saying it, if they can join in on it, if it's too far-fetched from like, you know, their understanding of what racism is, um, because majority are white, right? So in regards to Urbano, I feel like, unfortunately, looking backwards, I wish it would push the needle more. Um, the sad reality is that there's so much lack of diversity in the industry that people, and so much lack of understanding of race that people think that racism is Black people's problem. And that's disturbing. It's like, <laughs> oh, so the privilege that you have, it's not a continuation of the legacy that came down to you from slavery like it's not something systemic that you were allowed because of your white privilege oh because you grew up poor ish right no con un flat screen tv <laughs> like you were poor and um eso quiere decir que tú no tienes privilegio blanco i heard it all i'm honestly like the way this thinking about this ages me because the amount of gaslighting that I've experienced regarding this very question of like, okay, ¿qué hacemos ahora? ¿Qué podemos implementar? It's a lot of people who think that racism's not their problem. Um, I could be having a hell of a lot more conversations, but the issue is I feel like Black artists have been tokenized since then to speak up. And it's like, why aren't white artists speaking up? 
why aren't white artists recognizing? You know what? Esto es algo que existe. Vamos a hablar de esto. Oh, eh, yo me siento incómodo. Why? That's literally the creation of my podcast, Dímelo Cantando. Um, episode four, you know, we speak more on a different topic. But episode five, we talk about Black Lives Matter with the white Latino, with Mesia, you know, um, you know, who was who able to recognize que es un Dominicano Blanco, right? Um, who's able to recognize that he has it easier than other Black Dominicans in music, right? Who's able to say these things out loud. Um, that is the issue. A lot of people really don't think it's their problem. And because they don't think it's their problem, because they're majority in the room, majority rules. And so racism continues, perpetua. And, and Black people are caught in these, you know, moments where like, sure, since the the protests, a lot of people are recognizing like, Black people might be experiencing something different. <laughs> but is it a full-fledged understanding of what racism is? Not really. And I'm very sad to say that because the expense to this has been much emotional labor, much tokenism, not much funds being, you know, directed towards Black Latinos in this space, not much affirmative action practices being implemented in order to assure more equality in the space. So I wish I had a happier answer. I'm just, I'm really pissed the fuck off, to be honest, with like a lot of the gaslighting that I've experienced. Because when I'm advocating, I'm not speaking for me. This is, sure, this is a gata show in reggaeton con la gata, pero si yo hablo, si yo, si yo hablo, si yo abro mi boca, y yo estoy luchando, no es por mí, like that's so selfish. I'm, yo estoy luchando para las demás gente negra, right? Like para las personas negras. You know, para la persona que viene detrás de mí, you know, and so I find myself very frustrated, very angry because I'm in conversations and position with people who just straight up cannot see the elephant in the room as big as it is. Finally, what is Perreo and what is Perreo 101? Perreo is... I'm gonna give credit to Boris. Perreo is a creation that Boris have manifested. Um, I would say it's a continuation of Jamaican toasting, but even more so, it incorporates like this dance style that, um, you know, inherently is at the nucleus of what we call reggaeton, um, in that it coincides with the BPM of reggaeton. Um, it coincides with um, algunos estilos, you know, artísticos de, de bomba y plena, que es muy, muy boricua. Um, it's sexy. It's the sexy as like movement that came out of the celebration of um, the structuring of reggaeton as created by Puerto Rican people. Um, that's what I would call perreo to be. Um, all perreo is reggaeton, but all reggaeton isn't perreo. Um, in that a lot of reggaeton is too far out there to pop um, to have any sort of semblance of this sort of celebration that we have with our cintura, with our ass, <laughs> which is required in order to perrear, right? There are some songs that are too far out there to be considered perreo. Um, but on the flip side, all perreo music is reggaeton in that it's celebrating this movement in this way. And then therefore, officially what the genre is, is reggaeton. Um, but it's a very specific type of it. What is Perreo 101? Um, 
Parel 101 is the first podcast, bilingual podcast, dedicated to the intersectional history and analysis of reggaeton. It's actually getting a rebrand, so I'm very excited. It's coming back soon. I, I didn't hold off on it. I'm just restructuring a lot of things. I've learned a lot since loud. <laughs> so, estoy aplicando muchas cosas que aprendí. But no, Perreo 101 is my baby. It's basically, I was laughing because I was like, I'm tweeting a lot, but I want timestamps. That was the best decision I ever could have made. I created timestamps for all of the things I was saying and I put it in audio format. That's how I thought of podcast. It's funny. Um, I never even understood like what podcast was when I was creating it. I was like, okay, you want me to talk in the mic and <laughs> you want me to like tell a story and apparently you want music and you want an intro and an outro. Okay, I could do that. And then as, as a that I like, I did not understand really what a podcast was when I was creating this. I just knew like, okay, yo quiero que todo el mundo sepa que yo fui la primera en decir tal y tal cosa. So like I was creating timestamps of what I was studying, what I was saying, who I was interviewing, stuff like that, so that I can get my own flowers. Y gracias a Dios que lo hice, because that led into my participation in many high-profile projects, including Loud. So that's what Perreo Wano is, and it's coming back in even an even more bilingual format. So I'm excited for that, because majority of my listeners aren't even in the States. They're in Latin America. They're in Enya. They're in Australia and Japan of all places. Uh, so it's very nice to see that. And they're consuming in Spanish. So voy pa'yente. Yo no me he olvidado de ustedes. Y I'm excited for this new refurbish, refurbishment of the podcast. Catalina, muchísimas gracias por compartir tu conocimiento con nosotros y también tu experiencia. Thank you so much for sharing with us your knowledge and your experience. And I hope that we can work together in other projects in the future. Yes, thank you so much, Catalina. Remember, you can follow Catalina on Instagram at Reggaeton con la Gata. And there you can find her link tree that directs you to all of her projects. Thanks for listening. This is Mixtape. Esta noche hasta que salga el sol, hasta que salga el sol Que la guaracha siga y que no nos falte el licor Que no falte el licor Thank you for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook where you can find us at mixtape.podcast and also on Twitter and YouTube which you can find on our website tarheels.com slash mixtapepodcast. Make sure you click the subscribe button and turn on notifications. Have any suggestions, questions, or comments? Email us at themixtapepodcast at gmail.com. Remember that you can always send us audio clips with your reflections for future episodes. This episode was sponsored in part by the Orange County Arts Commission. Thanks for listening. This is Mixtape. <laughs>